Good morning. Good to be here again. I came down this morning, one of these lovely runs, you know, you go away from Aberdeen just at quarter past seven. No one else is up, it seems, and you get the road to yourself for a while. It was just a lovely drive down. Uh, had several pieces of music I wanted to listen to and was greatly blessed in listening to them. And I'm not telling you what they were yet. Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar. O Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Look upon our shield, O God. Look with favour on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favour and honour. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. O Lord Almighty, blessed are those who trust in you. Amen. As we come before God in prayer, we shall draw our prayers together by saying together the Lord's Prayer. One of the phrases used in our office, because Joyce Holloway is a lawyer, I suppose, is sometimes for the avoidance of doubt. So for the avoidance of doubt, in this version of the Lord's Prayer, we are forgiving and asking to be forgiven our debts. There is a reason for that. Not least that in a time when we're worried about an economic recession and enormous indebtedness, it's a good time to take time to reflect upon the debts we owe, the debts we are owed in relationships, our relationship with God, with those closest to us, with those whom we work, and so on. And so when we come to that part of the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, much more than money is involved, though money may also be involved. Let us pray together. Loving God, here we are again in this place, gathered together, Many of us knowing each other and having known each other for a long time. Some of us new to this place, perhaps today or recently. But in any case, here we are, gathered together in the name of Jesus, 
knowing that promise that where we gather together in his name, he is in the midst. And so against the background of the kind of week we each have had, the things that have made us happy and joyful and the things that have troubled us, situations we've coped well with and others that have gotten on top of us, people whom we've met and liked and found to be friends, others we've encountered and encountered difficulty. So for all kinds of reasons, we come here today seeking your grace. That grace which is free gift. Perhaps, most of all, we need to recover as your grace in our lives, the capacity to trust, to believe, to hope, to be able to look to our future as individual people, as families, as a community, as a country, as a world, to be able to hope and look forward and imagine ways in which life can be different and therefore better for so many people. And so when we come to worship and to pray and to make time to pay attention to each other in your presence and so to pay attention to you, open our minds to your truth. Open our hearts to the reality of your presence. Open us up as people to the needs and the gifts of your world. And enable us out of the riches, the unsearchable riches of Christ, to become in your world blessing and wholeness and peace for others as well as for ourselves. So as we gather in this place, present to each other and with you present in us, within us, around us, may we hear your voice and obey. May we listen carefully and understand. May we see with that inner eye of love and trust something of the depth and the width, the length and the breadth of your love, so that having seen and knowing we ourselves have been seen, we go forth from here, touched, changed, charged by your love in the name of Jesus Christ. The Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Our Old Testament reading is Genesis chapter 1. While you're looking for that, the very first people who would have heard this would, of course, have been familiar with the creation stories that were around about them, uh, notably the Babylonians. And if you know 
anything about the Babylonian stories, they're a bit wild and chaotic and have lots of gods and uh, quite a bit of carrying on. So one thing to listen for here is how this relates to that. And a specific example you can listen for is in the Babylonian stories, the stars and gods were kind of connected. So there's a lot of star action. So you can listen for what happens with the stars here. In the beginning, when God created the universe, the earth was formless and desolate. The raging ocean that covered everything was engulfed in total darkness, and the Spirit of God was moving over the water. Then God commanded, let there be light, and light appeared. God was pleased with what he saw. Then he separated the light from the darkness, and he named the light day and the darkness night. Evening passed, and morning came. That was the first day. Then God commanded, let there be a dome to divide the water and to keep it in two separate places. And it was done. So God made a dome, and it separated the water under it from the water above it. He named the dome sky. Evening passed, and morning came. That was the second day. Then God commanded, let the water below the sky come together in one place so that the land will appear. And it was done. He named the land earth, and the water which had come together he named sea. And God was pleased with what he saw. Then he commanded, let the earth produce all kinds of plants, those that bear grain and those that bear fruit. And it was done. So the earth produced all kinds of plants, and God was pleased with what he saw. Evening passed, and morning came. That was the third day. Then God commanded, let lights appear in the sky to separate day from night and to show the time when days, years, and religious festivals begin. They will shine in the sky to give light to the earth. And it was done. So God made the two larger lights, the sun to rule over the day, and the moon to rule over the night, he also made the stars. He placed the lights in the sky to shine on the earth, to rule over the day and the night, and to separate the light from darkness. And God was pleased with what he saw. Evening passed, morning came, that was the fourth day. Then God commanded, Let the water be filled with many kinds of living things, and let the air be filled with birds. So God created the great sea monsters, all kinds of creatures that live in the water, and all kinds of birds. And God was pleased with what he saw. He blessed them all, and told the creatures that live in the water to reproduce and to fill the sea, and he told the birds to increase in number. Evening passed, and morning came. That was the fifth day. 
Then God commanded, let the earth produce all kinds of animal life, domestic and wild, large and small. And it was done. So God made them all, and he was pleased with what he saw. Then God said, and now we will make human beings. They will be like us and resemble us. They will have power over the fish, the birds, and all animals, domestic and wild, large and small. So God created human beings, making them to be like himself. He created them male and female, blessed them, and said, Have many children so that your descendants will live all over the earth and bring it under their control. I am putting you in charge of the fish, the birds, and all the wild animals. I have provided all kinds of grain and all kinds of fruit for you to eat, but for all the wild animals and for all the birds, I have provided grass and leafy plants for food. And it was done. God looked at everything he had made, and he was very pleased. Evening passed, and morning came. That was the sixth day. We take some time now to share in prayers of intercession. When instead of being introspective as individuals or introspective as communities, because that can happen too, we look out beyond ourselves to that world which God created, this universe of which we are part, and we bring our prayers to the God who is creator, the one who is eternal in love and purpose, made known to us in Jesus Christ. There are three times we will sing the response, Kyrie eleison. You'll find it in Common Ground number 69. Let us pray together. Creator God, who gives us life, who gives life to the world, and who loves and cares for all people, forgive those narrow windows we look through. Seeing only our own life. Anxious only for our own needs. Forgive us our self-centered perspectives. Our prayers first of all for our own blessing. Forgive our limited horizons. Thinking first of ourselves. Our church. Our plans. At times blind to the beauty and brokenness of your world until catastrophe opens our eyes and make us see a suffering world as you see it with determined compassion and redemptive purposes. love and grace and peace and hope 
We pray for our own country, its cities, its communities, its industries. God of love, help us to look at what has happened these past weeks. Riots and violence, looting and destroying, killing and wounding. Give us wisdom to understand, insight to see clearly, courage to ask the hard questions, and vision to imagine differently. Make your church and this church communities where love is the default response to all whom we meet. Communities where grace is shown in generous spirit and the gift of service. Communities where peace is a priority in all our relationships, both peacemaking and peace-seeking. So that, as a people of love, grace and peace, we may embody our faith in you, the God of hope, bringing love where there is heart and hate, reaching out in grace with gift and compassion, creating and building peace, that shalom that is human flourishing. Widen our windows to see beyond ourselves. You teach us to look at the world through the eyes of your love. Your spirit pushes back our horizons and opens our heart to include those far from us, different from us, yet all are yours. Teach us what love is. The self-giving that we know lies at the heart of all reality because you revealed it. In Jesus Christ, crucified and risen. So as we pray for our broken world, its wars and conflicts, the hatreds and the enmities, injustices and poverty, the greed and the waste, the lost hopes and the growing despairs, mega problems that threaten to overwhelm, disasters all our technology and resources can't fix. As we pray then for this, our broken world, where people face famine, disease, loss of home, the crushing of freedom, the fear of war and conflict, we lift this world, this world that you love, before you, the God of all grace and love, and ask the blessing of your peace and the healing of your mercy through Christ, who is our mercy and peace.
Our New Testament reading is from Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 5, beginning at verse 16. Now, I don't have any Babylonians for you this time. Galatians, chapter 5, beginning at verse 16. This is Paul. What I say is this, let the Spirit direct your lives, and you will not satisfy the desires of the human nature. For what our human nature wants is opposed to what the Spirit wants, and what the Spirit wants is opposed to what our human nature wants. These two are enemies, and this means that you cannot do what you want to do. If the Spirit leads you, then you are not subject to the law. What human nature does is quite plain. It shows itself in immoral, filthy, and indecent actions, in worship of idols and witchcraft. People become enemies and they fight. They become jealous, angry, and ambitious. They separate into parties and groups. They are envious, get drunk, have orgies, and do other things like these. I warn you now, as I have before, those who do these things will not possess the kingdom of God. But the Spirit produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, and self-control. There is no law against such things as these. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have put to death their human nature with all its passions and desires. The Spirit has given us life. He must also control our lives. We must not be proud or irritate one another or be jealous of one another. Amen. You don't know Danny probably will never meet Danny. A couple of weeks ago, Danny was having a bad day. It was Thursday morning. He was sweeping the gutters outside the Prince Regent Hotel in Aberdeen. And every 20 yards or so, there was an impressive heap of rubbish to be shoveled into his bins and carted away. Most of it was green leaves. New twigs, blossom, ripped from the trees in the high winds of the Tuesday and Wednesday before. And as I walked along, he could see he was sweeping with a kind of determined anger. As if these leaves were each and together a personal offence. Our eyes met and I stopped to commiserate, as you tend to do, because I tend to speak to people when our eyes meet. Be warned. And I said to him, you don't expect to be doing this in June, do you? It wasn't a good question to ask. It's usually September before you have to begin sweeping up leaves. He took out from his back pocket a map, a street map. He showed me the streets which had been highlighted with his pen. About six inches of them. That was his patch. 
Then he showed me other patches in fluorescent green and blue and orange. That were the patches for the others. And when he was finished, he had to go and help the other squads. And he wasn't happy. And he was asking, how is he supposed to get all this done? Now that didn't seem like the time to begin an exposition of Acts chapter 2. Pentecost, the blowing wind, the gusting wind, and leaves and trees. I don't think he was ready to hear a full-blown doctrine of the Holy Spirit. However poetic about the wind of God blowing through the world and bringing life and movement and vitality... No, he wasn't ready for that. Probably not either for me to say, you know, John Newton wrote the hymn Amazing Grace, which I'm sure you've heard at least in the bagpipes at a boy in Highland Games. And you know, he once wrote in a letter to his friends, published in his collection of letters called Cardiphonia. And what he said was, I quote, Every leaf falls by the will of God at the appointed time and in the ordained place. Now, if he wasn't happy brushing up all these leaves, he wasn't going to be made happier by me telling him every one of them that fell in his patch was because of God. Wouldn't help. That would not be pastorally appropriate. Instead, I said to him, thanks for what he was doing. Because green leaves on wet pavements are not a lot of fun for people with smooth-soled shoes and for people not sure in their feet. said thank you. It was appreciated. He was making a difference to the world. And he was a bit embarrassed and he said he wouldn't be doing it if he didn't need the job. So he gets stuck in again, brushing angrily, tidying up the world. Here it comes Tackling the chaos. Bringing order to those parts of the world that he was responsible for. Those six inches of fluorescent pink. I have a lot of time for Danny and people like Danny. They're the people who, to use the words of one of those books that never made it into the Old Testament and I wish it had. The Wisdom of Sirach. Ecclesiasticus, where after a long description of the different jobs that people do to keep a community going, it says, all of those maintain the fabric of the world and their prayers are in the works of their hands. That's what I should have said to Danny. I still don't think he'd been persuaded or convinced, but it would have made me feel better if I'd said something like that. But just listen to that. All those maintain the fabric of the world. And their prayers are in the works of their hands. Danny, with his brush and his two buckets. Of course, if you're in a certain part of Aberdeen, you would have one of these big suki things that goes along with brushes and just sucks up most of them, but not all of them. But angry or not, Danny was being pretty conscientious. The problem really is, if the wind started blowing again in an hour's time, be back to where we started and Danny would feel his time had been even more wasted. I want to think this morning about people who tidy up the world. You know how that Genesis story begins? 
In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, or the earth was chaotic. No order, no system, no sense that anything was in its proper place. Think of it as the Spirit of God hovering with wisdom and purpose over that which is chaotic to bring out of it that which is possible for life and for growth and for fulfillment. I want to read you another passage of Scripture. I don't want you to go looking for it. I just want you to hear it. It's about wisdom. In the Old Testament, wisdom isn't just an attribute of the experienced in life. Wisdom is one of the great gifts of God, and indeed, Jesus is called the wisdom of God. And there is, in Jewish thinking, and it came over into New Testament thinking in the book of Colossians, an understanding of wisdom as that which is the the creative, purposeful intentionality of God. Listen to this. The Lord brought me forth. This is wisdom talking. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. I was appointed from eternity from the beginning before the world began. When there were no oceans, I was given birth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled in place. Before the hills were formed, I was given birth. Before he made the earth or its fields or any of the dust of the world, I was there. When he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizons on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so the waters could not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Here's the phrase. Then I was the craftsman at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in this whole world and delighting in humanity. Do you not just love that? I just love that. Delighting in humanity and enjoying the whole world. The craftsman at God's side. The one who takes the raw material and the right tools and works with skill and experience, and that inexplicable flair, so that something is manufactured, created, brought into being. And it's the Spirit of God who delights every day, rejoicing in this whole world and delighting in human life. It's a view of God that's almost playful. The relaxed, leisurely joy of the artist with her gifts in full flow. The Holy Spirit as God's craftsman, God's artist, working the raw material of the world, of our lives, of our communities. It is this God who works in our lives. Proverbs 8, which is where that reading came from, is about the wisdom of God. It's a view of the universe that has God at the center And when you think of the God who watches over us, think of one whose wise delight is the delight of the craftsman doing that which the craftsman does best. So this craftsman imagined oceans into being, 
Touch the depths of the earth to gush springs of life-giving water. Settled the mountains in place like an interior designer arranging the furniture. Spreading soil like fitted carpets. Arranging the dust of the world speck by speck. Tell that to Danny and his leaves. Whose two or three inches of fluorescent pink mean hours of back-breaking work. And it doesn't sound persuasive. But this is poetry, not argument. This is truth, the deep truth about the world that we live in, the life we live in the world. Earth's crammed with heaven, and every common bush afire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes, the rest sit round it and pluck blackberries. And the deep truths are still there. The heavens are indeed set in place. The Lord rules the stars. And so the Lord, not the stars, rule our lives. The horizons are measured. All our possibilities fall within those boundaries of the wise love of God. The clouds are established. In another hymn, ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and will break in blessings on your head. We all have our clouds. Those experiences that come between us and our happiness might be the job we hate, might be the job we can't get. It might be that row that hurt then and hurts still. It might be the illness that lays us or those whom we love low. It might be the depression that doesn't lift the lost chances that don't come back. They're all part of life. And in the miracle that our life is, this craftsman God takes such clouds and somehow or other, and who knows how, are big with blessing. But it doesn't feel like that sometimes, but there it is. The sea boundary is set. And it cannot overstep God's command. When you pass through the waters, they shall not overwhelm you, is Isaiah's way of saying the same thing. He marked out the foundations of the world. The world shakes sometimes. And that's the time when people of faith have to start talking about what we actually believe are the foundations of our society, our community, our national life, the life of our world. It's foundations that give us structure, it's integrity, it's durability. And the integrity and durability of God's creation is in God's hands. And yet, amongst the blessings of travelling from Aberdeen to Glasgow, whether for this or any other time of the week, is Radio 4. And this morning, on the Sunday programme, there was the usual kerfuffle about global warming and climate change. It's quite hard to drive sensibly when somebody's getting your dander up, but I managed it. The person getting my dander up was a rather right-wing, conservative, both politically and theologically, person in Australia, and what they had to say about the myth of climate change and the conspiracy theories of all those 
politicians who are out simply to make us afraid and get our money and all the other simplistic nonsense I'm afraid that poured forth. The foundations of the earth are laid by God. Proverbs 8 and Genesis 1 are not, whatever else they are, science. They're a way of looking at the world that sees beneath the surface and senses that God is at work, and the God who is at work is the God who, with purpose and love and creativity, brings to be that which is in the will of God. And all these words that are used in Proverbs and in Genesis are words that many architects and builders will be familiar with. This is God at work. He has set in place the heavens. He has marked out the horizon. He has established the clouds, fixed the deep fountains, set the boundaries of the sea, measured out the foundations. The world isn't a chaos. That's what Genesis is saying. And neither are our lives. That's what Galatians is saying. Because against all the chaos of a world yet unmade in Genesis 1, you can put the chaos of the inner life of those for whom the works of the flesh are what dominate and the fruit of the Spirit is either absent or eclipsed. There are different kinds of chaos. There is the inner moral and emotional chaos of those with no center in their lives. Those where there is no foundation. Those whose lives, whatever else they are, are not expressions of wisdom. John Newton knew perfectly well that he was exaggerating when he speaks of God ordaining the shape, the precision timing, and the exact location of each falling snowflake and every falling leaf. But he was trying to find pictures for that grace that has brought us safe thus far and that grace that will lead us home. And just as Proverbs is trying to give us pictures of a God who doesn't leave us to our own devices in life, but who is working in us and through us in the detail and the dailiness of our lives, it is that God who, when we pray, God of grace, God of love, God of peace, God of hope, bring love, grace, peace, and hope to our world, through our lives that will begin to happen as the Spirit of God of whom we've been singing blows through our lives. And creatively brings order out of chaos, faithfulness out of fickleness, reconciliation out of unforgivingness, peacemaking out of troublesomeness, and so on. That's what Galatians 5 is about. And it's interesting to put it alongside Genesis 1. And the Spirit of God who broods hovers over the waters to bring forth that which is capable of sustaining life. And it raises quite an important question for us, this, I think. What is God doing in your life or my life now? This Holy Spirit who is the craftsman, working on the raw material that is me or you, we are, according to Ephesians, God's workmanship. So what is God teaching through that relationship in my life just now, which is so hard to deal with? If God's wise love can, can, bring good out of all situation, what about that situation that keeps me awake, that worries me? Now, this week. Can I really trust the God who marks the horizons 
establishes the clouds, measures the foundations. Well, according to Paul, he would say, if he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, is it not important for me to discover what it is that God is asking, what God is waiting to do, what God is working on? And then somehow or other, with courage and trust and some trepidation, I should think, to place our future in the hands of this craftsman spirit of God who rejoices in the whole world and delights in human life and into that whole world and into all of that life, our lives individually fit. So what? Jesus said, when the spirit of truth comes... You know, sometimes our minds are just too full, our bodies too busy, our spirits too restless for us to notice the presence of God in the routine and the activity around us. When the spirit of truth comes, he will take of the things of me and explain them to you. Because the real role of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to take of the things of Christ And explain them to us. Explore them with us. One of the great college words that we throw around all over the place. Sometimes with considerable amounts of fun. Is the word exegesis. Where you take something and seek to make plain what it means. The Holy Spirit is the exegete of Jesus. And for each one of us that's going to mean something very similar and something very different. The more important ministry of the Holy Spirit is to teach us to trust the God Jesus came to be made known. The God who touches lepers in their isolation and includes them. That's what God's like. That's what we are called to be. The God who stands between a woman and a stone-hurling mob and sends her away with a new view of God And sends them away with a new view of themselves. It's the God who gives a blind man the ability to see. And to see deep truth. Gradually dawning. Not as trees walking. But as human life. It's the God who gives legion back his self. By asking his name. And expelling all those false selves who drive him in his living. It's the God who weeps for his friend Lazarus who has died. It's the God who takes children on his knee. It's the God who looks Peter in the face post-crucifixion, post-resurrection, and asks him three times in one of the most healing moments in the whole of Scripture, yes, Peter, we know about the denial, we know about the guilt, we know about the going back to fishing. You don't need to tell me, but Peter, do you love me? Uh Uh-huh. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Peter, do you love me more than these? Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. That kind of God. And yes, if we're going to be faithful to the Gospels and ask, what would a spirit-led life look like if it was the spirit of Jesus? We'd also need to include, this is the God who throws parties. And who makes them occasions of artistic creation. 
As Jesus, the craftsman at God's side, is filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world, delighting in every human being, that is the work of the Holy Spirit, to have a worldview that is not cynical, a worldview that is not empty of joy, a worldview that looks out at that world and notices, and what you see matters. Now, forgive the personal comment again, but I was really upset in the way down here this morning, and I still am a wee bit upset about it. Because with all the road kills that take place on the road, the one that upset me most, I think for years, is to see an otter at the side of the road this morning that clearly had been hit by a fast-traveling car. Why an otter and not a rabbit or a hedgehog or all the other things we see simply splattered on our busy roads? But I don't want only to think of life when it goes wrong. Because as well as that, the fact that there are now otters in the Tay between Perth and Dundee is itself a wonderful thing. And they are the most wonderful and beautiful animals. It's that capacity to look on this world and not believe that it's still the chaos of Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. But to see the beauty of the world as Genesis chapter 1. And the wisdom of God in creation. And that same wisdom suffusing, supporting our own lives. That is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. To lead us into this great truth of who God is. The one who marks out the horizons, fixes the clouds, secures deep fountains, measures the foundations of all that is. But you know, that same activity of God becomes very personal. It's the God who marks out the horizons of our lives. Fixes the clouds, secures deep fountains, measures the foundations. It is this God working in us and through us so that the followers of Jesus become those who embody that love and creative intentionality of God. So when people ask, so what's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? You could do worse than go to Genesis chapter 1 and read it. And then go to Galatians chapter 5 and read it. And against the background of all the chaos in the world, remember the beauty of God's creation. And against the background of all that can go wrong in our own lives, in the life of the communities around us, seen in the last couple of weeks in London, Birmingham, Manchester and elsewhere, against that, all the works of the flesh, if you like, there is also the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. And all the rest. Creator Spirit, moving upon the primal sea to calm and order it, breathe your grace into our lives. Divine Helper, strengthen our hearts by your anointing and set them on fire with your love. By your gifts, Complete our imperfect minds that we may think wisely and speak truth. Recall our bodies, nerve, sinew and sense to holy use that we may welcome, love and do that which is good. Shield us from the influence of evil. Grant inward peace as your impulses prompt our actions. The Son's promise the Father's gift, eternally their companion and newly ours, teach us what we may know of God 
and what we must know to believe, to be blessed and to be saved. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.